Hey, Rockheads. This is Music to Code by Track 12. Check this out. Oh, yeah. Just what you need to get in the zone when you write code. And get this. We just added a site license. Download it once, share it with everybody in your office. Check it out at musictocodeby.net. .NET Rocks, episode 1322, with guest Ben Hall. Recorded Thursday, June 9th, 2016. Hey, guess what? It's .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. And the sound of my voice is screwed up because I'm sick. Got a cold. You know, what's going to be fun with this show is that we've pushed this down a little bit later, so I'm wondering if there's going to be a few shows before this one that you're going to sound better in. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe. <laughs> so it'll be a blast from the past. Remember when, when Carl was really sick? <laughs> anyway, I'm going to try to keep my uh, voice as clean as possible for you, but I do apologize in advance. However, I have some really interesting stuff to share for Better Know Framework. Awesome. <laughs> All right, dude, what do you got? Maybe Ben has seen this too, but this is devdocs.io. Or if you want to go to 1322.pwop.me, devdocs.io is documentation for a lot of developer technologies, but interestingly, C Sharp and .NET are missing. Okay. Isn't it interesting? Go check it out right now. It's a great left-hand hierarchy, right-hand details collection of documentation. And initially you look at it and go, this is very web-centric. A lot of PHP and Angular and stuff like that. But even Chef is in there. Deep down, Chef is just Ruby. Closure, Postgres, cool. But even C is in there, but not C Sharp and not ASP.NET and not .NET. Angular is in there. It's not a complete set. Right. It's not a complete set. Also, Elixir's in there. Interestingly enough, Java's not in there. That is interesting, isn't it? And JavaScript. As a matter of fact, I see jQuery, jQuery Mobile and jQuery UI, but not JavaScript, nor Java. Very interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. But this is also an interesting document library, too. TypeScript is in there, <laughs> but not JavaScript. But not JavaScript. Let's think about that for a minute. Weird. Anyway, that's what I got, guys. That's cool. Who's talking to us, Richard? Grabbed a comment off a of show 1010, the one we did uh, oh, but a couple of years ago now, where we talked about teaching new developers with David Graham. And this comment comes from Eric Large, who says, Hi, guys, I just wanted to comment on the statement you guys made about holding back the ability to teach kids to teach themselves. I've done some teaching and a lot of learning. And the one thing I find most detrimental to the concept of self-learning is memorization as a method of teaching. The reason it is so prolific is that it's so easy to test. 
and to be able to create standardized tests with broad reach. Yeah, it is an interesting problem, right? Only doing stuff that tests easily. What if we program that way? That's weird. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and that leads to the second thing that seems to be broken. David mentioned that to pass the course, you have to create a project, but he didn't mention passing a test, which doesn't mean there isn't one, but you can hope. Tests in college teach students to focus on learning the teacher and not the material. Tests and memorization are two key features in breaking students of their natural curiosity. That was one of the things that David really brought up. It's like the only test that matters is building a working web project. That's the test that matters. Can you do it? Right. Because that's what everybody's going to care about in the end. Uh, Eric goes on to say, I find group projects to be more fun and informative. It also teaches students to learn on their own and as a group. My college does this in many of our upper-level engineering classes, and it's where I learn the most. And I do think there's an amazing power in that peer learning part of, I have to learn this well enough to teach my peer. So I do buy into uh, that sentiment as well. It is much more challenging to learn stuff solely on your own. So Eric, thank you so much for your comment. I know it was a couple of years ago, but it's still awesome. And a .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .NET Rocks.com or via any of the social medias, because we publish every show to Facebook and Google+. And if you comment there, we read it on the show we'll send you a mug and definitely follow us on twitter i'm at carl franklin he's at rich campbell and send us a tweet we uh clean our ears with him now let me introduce ben hall he's the founder of ocelot uproar a company focused on training and building products loved by users ben enjoys looking for the next challenge to solve usually over an occasional beer ocelot uproar recently launched katakoda at katakoda.com k-a-t-a-c-o-d-a Dot com, an interactive learning environment for software engineers. He tweets at Ben underscore Hall and blogs at blog.benhall.me.uk. Welcome back to the show, Ben. Hey, it's good to be back, guys. Well, it's good to be almost talking to you again. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a very husky sounding voice. It's fine. There's nothing wrong with it. All right. Well, if you can deal with it, I guess I can too. Have we ever done a show with you in the remote format? I know we've done a bunch in person because we always seem to see each other at conferences. Yeah, you've been on panels and we did a show at NDC with you one-on-one. It's been a couple of years. We did one way back when I did testingasp.net was the topic. Um, and it was with... Oh, okay. Yeah, it's been a while. Oh, right. Yes, yes. Yeah, but a long time. We generally do this in a nice little cozy room. Yes. In the people aquarium with people staring in at us. <laughs> exactly. So this is a bit weird. I've got a headset on and um, no one to look at. This is like strange. <laughs> Just all by myself. Welcome to our world. Yeah, really. <laughs> Had you seen devdocs.io before? I hadn't. Or if I had, I have forgotten about it. But yeah, it looked pretty cool. Always nice to have a collection and a central place to go to when you're trying to find things. So yeah, it looks pretty interesting. Very cool. So uh, still doing a lot of Docker stuff and containers and whatnot? More and more every day. The steamrolled roller coaster, which isn't stopping or slowing down anytime soon. So yeah, always lots of interesting stuff to be playing with and learning and experimenting. Yeah, it's going well. And then lots of training and lots of conferences at the same time. What got you interested in learning patterns? It's a weird one. Obviously, I've been book author and speaking at conferences. And so it's always been a teaching developers. It's always been something which I've been proactively doing, but never really had the time to actually sit down and look at it properly. And so when working on Katakoda, it's like, actually, how do people learn and what other approaches? And as a comment, you just read out it's like what actually makes difference and what effective ways are there to learn and what are there not quite so productive effective ways and what makes difference so yeah just been spending a lot of time looking into that and all of it goes back into the workshops and kind of trying to make them more engaging more interactive more productive for everyone in the room and how do you go about 
trying to find out what people's learning patterns are and what works and what doesn't. It <laughs> seems like you have to be kind of a scientist to do that kind of stuff. Yeah, and I'm definitely not the scientist. I leave that to Barbara. She's got all the data behind it. I just do a looking at learning patterns. I guess it's just like everything, seeing uh, what other people are doing, seeing different approaches, different patterns, experience, speaking to lots of developers about how they approach the problem, um, and then just trying different things myself and seeing what works, seeing what happens. I definitely don't take a massively scientific approach. It's, I love common sense and experiments. And with a name like Katakoda, I think about katas. Are you a big believer in hands-on, like you've got to write the code kind of thing? That's personally how I to learn. And that sort of seems to be resonating with lots of our users and lots of people. So yeah, the whole purpose behind Katakoda is to create an interactive platform where you can learn and experiment without any needing to configure anything or kind of set anything up without having to download. And it's just there ready and waiting for you to just jump in and be motivated and start learning. And so definitely, I personally think that's more productive way that I learn. I like playing with things. I like actually seeing how it works and seeing what's happening in the covers and exploring it and most of the time breaking it in the first place. So, <laughs> Which and I can tell you're an experienced workshop person. And I know Carl's been through this. If you've got 30 people in a room, all with their laptops, and you're going to try and go through an exercise so that everybody can write some code, you spend half the day getting 30 people to a common workable space before you can start learning anything. And it seems that no matter how you stress, please don't bring a crippled laptop to this session or you will be asked to leave. People do anyway, and they bring laptops that are require domain controller to log in and lock down running XP on a laptop from 1995 or something. Yeah, and it's definitely, when I'm doing a lot of the Docker training, it's a hurdle to get everyone set up and get it actually working. It's not so bad on RSX and Linux, but Windows, it can be problematic if it's conflicting with Hyper-V and different things. So yeah, we're definitely, it's a painful experience. And also, it's not very enjoyable for the attendees. They want to get on and they want to crack on and start learning and actually be getting the experience from the workshop leader. And they don't want to have to spend half an hour, an hour, two hours installing all the different bits and kind of the motivates everyone in the room at that point. You mentioned Hyper-V. One of the classic problems I encounter is people that bring MacBooks and running a bootcamp Windows and don't know how to turn on Hyper-V because you basically, if it's not supported by the Mac, it doesn't matter if you turn it on in Windows, it still won't be running. Yeah, completely. And then at that point, it's like game over. You can't do that much. If you can't use it, you can't use it. So yeah, it's all these problems. And this is one of the things which in all of my workshops now, Katakoda is just a large part. I used to use DigitalOcean and get people to create a droplet or give them a droplet just because it was a quicker, more effective way because it was like pre-built environment which was just there ready and waiting and they can just SSH into and start working with it. But now I'm using Katakoda. So I recently did one on Docker security. Everyone wants to be doing uh, exploits on their local laptops and also if they're running a secure and they have everything patched up then you can't exploit it. You can't do that sample, you can't do that example and you can't see how it works. And so we do a lot of things like that with Katakoda now where it's been configured in such a way that you can see the exploit, you can understand how it works and then you can patch it and have it fixed and see the exploit no longer taking an effect. And that's things which you just can't easily replicate in a day-long workshop. I'm looking at the stuff, the labs that you have at katakoda.com, and uh, they're just tiled nicely and so that you can figure out what they are. The most popular ones, Docker and containers, Docker in production, Kubernetes, and Git version control. And then there's the start lab button. So what happens when you go through one of these 
labs? So I've tried to, obviously, looking at the ways developers like to learn, or at least ways which I like to learn personally, I've kind of mapped it onto that mindset. And so when you connect, you get a virtual machine, or what looks and feels like a virtual machine, um, but everything's in the browser. So it's a JavaScript terminal, and that connects to the underlying environment. And the environment has been pre-configured. So for the example, we mentioned Kubernetes. It's got all the bits already there, already waiting for you. And so all you have to do is start launching the commands and seeing how it all works. But you don't actually have to download anything. You don't have to wait. And everything connects within seconds. And so we focused a lot on that whole motivation and that whole trying to build on people's excitement for learning new technologies. And that's where we focus a lot of attention on performance and optimizing that for creating a great experience. Because if you have to wait 15 minutes to get access to it, then you lose motivation, you lose the willingness to actually learn something in the first place, or at least in my experience, I do. This is great. I'm into the Git one in the first scenario. And you're right. I mean, you have... Most of the screen on the right, two thirds of it is the terminal command line, which is great because when you said a VM, I'm thinking GUI and it's great that it's just command line. And on the left, of course, is your task and your tips and all of that stuff. And when you're done, you go to the next one. I kind of like that more than I like watching videos. As long as the steps are clear and I can find answers to my questions easily. But videos are okay. But I find that when I'm watching a how-to video, I feel like I can't skip ahead lest I miss something. But I'm sitting there chomping at the bit, waiting to plow through the stuff that I already know. And it can <laughs> it can be a drag. Yeah, completely. And that's where video definitely has its place. And it's nice to be able to sometimes watch and see an experienced person kind of use the technologies and see how they approach problems. I completely agree with you. If you already know something or you're trying to understand a certain problem or how to solve it in a certain way, having to sit through and watch the video can be frustrating at many times. And so you need these different resources and you need the different things and different approaches and different ways of learning as an overall picture. And I think you can't just have video, you can't just have interactive apps, you can't just have conference talks. I think the, the entire ecosystem needs to support each other. At the end of the day, you have a great learning experience. I think what I would like is to start with the Katakoda approach, which is here are the steps and they're outlined. And if you want to go to any particular one, you can. And then have a list of short videos that cover specific questions that answer questions. Like if I have a question of like a video fact, maybe, do you know what I'm saying? So I can just say, I want to know that, what does that look like? And I don't have to sit through an entire presentation and, and I'm not afraid that I'm going to miss something uh, that isn't related. Yeah, really good idea. I think we're seeing more and more videos become more like that way, that more focused and more short snippets and a more just kind of focusing in on a one particular section of the problem. And so you don't have these big, long videos. And that's a trend which I'm seeing, at least. I mean, it's also a battle of you have so many little videos, it's just sort of overwhelming. I do think it's a challenge to sort of balance between those two things. Yeah, this is the problem with um, learning just generally. It's like, how do you get the information and how do you express the information in a way which is understandable and you can actually follow and it's all coherent and it all makes sense. And I think like when you go to conferences and you watch conference talks, obviously the talks are all very high quality because they've been thought about as a complete story. They all have a very clear, very valid picture. And so if you start breaking it up, then it does... You need to be aware that you don't ruin that story. You don't break that story. There is a relationship from piece to piece and order matters. Exactly. But it gives you that opportunity that if you don't necessarily or if you only understand it, you can skip ahead. 
um, but it doesn't disrupt flow. And I think for me, that's a large part of approaching, whether it's documentation or conference talks or learning material, is just having that consistent flow. And so that people can walk through it in a nice, natural way. And it doesn't jump from, let's say, a very simple getting started guide to the API documentation and there's nothing else in between. Like People actually need to know how to deploy things. They need to know how it works in reality. They need to have that ramp up learning. They can't just go straight to the deep details as like step two. And I feel the same way about architectural discussions too. It's like until you've got some grounding in how these things actually work, thinking about infrastructure and architecture just doesn't make sense. Even though in theory, it's like, I want to start with a design and a plan. You kind of need to know what a hammer feels like and what a nail feels like before you can really talk about designs of walls. Exactly. And that's why I've taken a very interactive approach, because you need to feel how these tools work. You need to feel how the frameworks connect to each other and also how it connects to the environment around it. If it's all theoretical, how do you actually know what the intricacies are? How do you know what the minor little details are, which you don't realize until you've used it for a while and you've seen all the different bits and it's like, oh yeah, you know what? In this scenario, it always did this. I appreciate that I popped open one of your container things. It's like you don't spend a lot of time trying to explain what containers are. It's like, let's make a few. You'll figure this out. Exactly, yeah. And that's the same. It's like, I was very aware that people may come to it with different background and different experience. And so we don't want to front load them with lots of long-winded explanations and long-winded text because we're developers. It's targeted at developers. And the best way which I find developers to learn is to actually like jump in and start playing with it. I don't want to cast all developers under the same mold, too, that until I type it, it doesn't mean anything to me. I mean, there's certainly some merit to that. But I guess part of this is just what learning style works best for you. Exactly. And that's why I say there needs to be different approaches and different patterns. And there's some amazing video content out there. And so you can't dismiss it because it's a great resource to have on hand. But you need to pair it with something else. So when you're watching the video, you also need to be looking and playing and using the tools being explained to help it condense into your memory. It helps you switch from that whole left side, right side of the brain. It helps you build those memory patterns and reaffirm the information which you're listening to. Same with podcasts. Like as we're talking about frameworks and technologies, the best way to remember it is to actually go on to the website, which you mentioned, the DevDocs, and see it. And then it helps reaffirm it in your memory. And so when you need it in the future, you can go back to it and like, ah, yes, I remember that .NET Rocks mentioned it at this random point, and it's more reaffirmed in your memory. We seem to, for the podcasts and things, the ones I listen to, I call them edutainment. We want to cover stuff and we want to talk about stuff, but it's more about big picture and getting people to realize what's out there so that they can go into details themselves at a later time. Yeah, and that comes on to the whole unknown unknowns, where if you don't know that something's out there, then how would you ever know that you don't know it exists and how can you ever know that it's solving your problem in the first place if you don't realize that the problem it's an actual problem in the learn section of katakota you have a bunch of different things there's labs and scenarios and playgrounds what are these it's kind of trying to map it onto a structure which i have seen around and watching developers approach new technologies say docker or things like reactive or jquery going way back and it's just been trying to map it onto that realistic world view labs are kind of like a collection of scenarios and so it's broken down into 10 to 15 minute chunks of learning material and it's all focused on solving real problems again this goes back to the way i like to learn is by actually having a problem and trying to solve it and trying to figure it out instead of it just being a theoretical thing it's like let's build a docker container running asp.net for example and it's going in and actually working through that problem 
in a step-by-step way. And then alongside that, the playgrounds are just places where you can just drop in and you can experiment. And it's trying to get that whole experimentation play feel to learning, where it's like, oh, I kind of want to just play and see what this command does, or I've just heard about this thing, or I've watched it on a video, and I just want to jump in somewhere really quickly and start seeing what happens when I run that command. Without having to wrestle with your own deployments or impacting equipment or anything like that. Exactly. So you're watching a video or you're at a conference and you're watching the presenter type something on the screen. And this is just a way that people can then jump in and follow along if they wanted to. While they're seeing and while they're listening, they're also engaging themselves and actually seeing the commands being run for themselves and having that two-way learning experience instead of just listening. It's that whole reaffirmment. Right. Reaffirmation. So there have been products in the past and companies, and we've even had them as advertisers that have hooks into Visual Studio that use Visual Studio as the sort of the learning environment. And I always thought that that was a really tall order to try to pull off because what happens when Visual Studio changes and now you're only dealing with stuff that's in Visual Studio. So I like the whole idea of taking the dev environment such as it is, all that you need and putting it in a browser so that you can just focus on the stuff that you're doing, whether you're building a class or adding getters and setters or implementing interfaces or whatever you're doing. It's a lot more generic and not nailed down to a product. Well, thank you very much. I'm pleased that you like our approach. <laughs> yeah, I do. It's hard just like teaching tooling because I know people will be definitely using Visual Studio on a daily basis and that's what they will be comfortable with. But also people are now going to Visual Studio Code and they're using Vim. And so we've got lots of different alternatives and variations And actually, what's important isn't the tool itself, it's the underlying principles. And that's when you remove all of that other noise, you focus just what the principle is. So that's where I kind of came along. And when I started learning, this whole problem came about when I wanted to start learning Docker and learning more about infrastructure and how that world works, not just code and C Sharp and Node.js. And it was like, well... I want to understand how it works, but I don't necessarily want to deal with creating virtual machines or downloading and setting everything up or having all the configuration because that's not the important bit. Yeah, it's the friction. It just gets in the way and it's a distraction from what you're actually trying to understand. If you can break it down and if you can focus on what the core underlying problem is and get to that quicker and sooner, then your learning experience will be much more productive and much more focused. In my experience, you have a higher likelihood of remembering and taking it in and actually seeing how it works because you're not frustrated by the other things which are happening around you. Very, very cool. Hey, Richard. Yeah, buddy. Guess what time it is. It must be that happy time again. Yeah, it's time to announce a new technology by which you can gradually decrease the salary of an IT professional who is slowly ruining your container environment. Uh-huh. It's called Docker Pay. <laughs> That's a shame. <laughs> I thought that was pretty clever, actually. <laughs> it's actually time to give away a D-Experience subscription from Developer Express to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But first, become a UI superhero with DevExpress UI controls and libraries and deliver elegant .NET solutions that address customer needs today and leverage your existing knowledge to build next-generation, touch-enabled solutions for tomorrow. Whether it's an Office-inspired application or a data-centric analytics dashboard, DevExpress Universal ships with everything you'll need to build your best without limits or compromise. Learn more and download your free 30-day trial at devexpress.com superhero. All right, buddy. Who's our winner? 
Today's winner is Renee Orban. Congratulations, Renee. Yeah. Golf clap for you. And uh, Renee just won the D-Experience subscription. That's a big pile of awesome from our friends at Developer Express. And if you don't know what we just did, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the .NET Rocks fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world. In every show, we like to give away stuff from our sponsors. And every December, we give away a $5,000 technology shopping spree to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But you have to sign up to win. All right, Ben, it's your turn. If you had $5,000 US to spend on technology right now, what would you buy? So if the rumors are true, then I would like the new 5K Thunderbolt display, which Apple are planning to announce with their built-in GPU, which sounds like it would be an amazing looking thing on my desk i think that would be pretty awesome Ooh, how big is it it's gonna be probably one of their 30 inches i think um wow this is all rumors and everyone loves a good apple rumor but it looks like it would be just an epic thing to have and especially with gpu because then i'd have actually be able to play games and like yeah. my macbook air which while it's a beautiful laptop it's not a gaming beast so if you can put that into a monitor that would be um, awesome i'm just curious as to how that's going to work to have the gpu in the monitor well don't you have your in your surface isn't there a gpu in the surface monitor well the surface has the whole computer in the screen and there's an additional gpu right 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 but it's not connected via a vga or dvi or or display port cable it's right on the bus you're going to have to have a special connector so i think everything's gonna be over thunderbolt yeah it's gonna be thunderbolt insanely fast connection i think that's how it's offloading the workload to the external gpu but it does speak to an interesting philosophy to size your gpu to your monitor plus the back of a 30 inch display is a hell of a lot bigger than your laptop you can put a lot of gpu back there you can put an awful lot of gpu back there it kind of does fit into that whole service mindset why do you need a keyboard when you want a tablet just detach it and you use it when and where you need it. You probably need a very powerful GPU when you're doing video processing or audio processing, but you don't need that when you're on the train just kind of working in PowerPoint. I really like that. It's solving the problem and it's splitting work needs to be done and not necessarily, you don't need all the same time at the same time. Yeah, you don't want to drag that big, heavy, power-hungry GPU with you when you're just powering uh, your laptop display. Although, there's 5K displays in some laptops now. Like, the whole thing's getting out of control. I'm with you. I hope it's big enough. I've been avoiding 4K displays that were in the sub-30-inch range. You're just going to scale everything anyway. I've finally ordered a 43-inch 4K giant monitor. Ha <laughs> ha. Yeah. 43 inch. Yeah, that would be enough room for Digital Studio. That would be a good experience on that. I'm actually planning on hanging a couple of wing monitors off the side of it because, you know, there's no such thing as too much screen space. Could you send me a link to that, Richard? Maybe put it in the show notes. That was the one I already sent you, buddy. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. The one that also has the quad HDMI input so you could split up the screen into four 1080p's. It's, it, Dell's selling it. And it's it. like 1300 bucks, right? Well, I never said I bought cheap monitors. No, no, no. I'm just trying to figure <laughs> out which one it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah. yeah. My whole thing with 4K and 5K, because I've been watching 5K as well, is if I've got to go to 200, 250% scaling, what's the point? I love a good retina display and nice high-resolution graphics and things, but I really want to use those pixels. Give me more screen space. And uh, as we saw at DevSum, were there four different monitors you had surrounded? 
And, uh, <laughs> you did like, see that. Carl missed yeah. it, but Tibby brought another one of those Asus portable monitors that run off the USB port. And it turns out my Surface Book can run two of them at once. No. So I ordered another one. I'll have it with me probably at NDC. Just because more screen space, good. Wow. Indeed. What can I say? I was impressed. It's geeky. <laughs> So, Katakoda looks really amazing, and it looks free, right? This is true, yeah. All of the content is free. You have an option to create content, to create these labs, and I'm wondering what's involved in doing that. This kind of comes back to the initial starting comment, where at least what I see is, if you have to teach someone else, you have to understand the technology a higher level, and you also have to kind of break it down into much simpler terminology and much simpler approach so that someone else can understand it and at the same time you can then share and you can give back and kind of like produce more content and have other people learning and you learn additional stuff and so you have to create more content and it's this spiral and this is why i started speaking at conferences because it helped me reaffirm what i knew but it helped me reaffirm it because i had to explain it to other people and it was that explaining process which made me think of it in a different way and push it in different directions and also expand out what I already knew and expand it into different corners. And so that's something which I wanted to have as part of the experience on Katakoda is a way that you can teach other people. And so using our platform and using our foundation, you can write your own content and you can write your own scenarios, um, which are hosted on the platform. Or if you're a company, you can embed them into your own website or documentation. Yeah, okay. And so how involved is it to create a uh, lab? We have focused on trying to keep it as simple as possible. So every scenario is a markdown file. And so we have editor, which just allows you to write the markdown and convert them into scenarios. Underlying prep forms are pre-built and pre-configured. So if you want to start teaching ASP.NET Core, then that environment's already been released. And so you can just jump on and start writing content in an interactive way instead of it being a static blog post, for example. And then you can start combining the two and having your blog post and then using Katakoda to have the interactive environment and the interactive way of expressing and demonstrating what you're telling people. But yeah, everything's just Markdown. Markdown is a fantastic way of expressing information and giving some formatting. So we thought that would make the most sense of uh, creating the scenarios under the cover. And then we've added some nice little bits just on top to make it easier for the user to learn. For example, instead of having to type out the commands, you can just click them and they automatically execute. And so we've added that to make it just a better learning experience for everyone. So, I mean, I'm worried that this thing's free and you're going to go under here, buddy. How do you make a living? This is an interesting question, which my accountant is constantly asking me. Um, (laughs) I'm fortunate that I do a lot of Docker training and consultancy. And so that definitely helps keep the bank balance topped up, not cause me too many issues. So that's mainly what, alongside doing Katakoda, I'm just doing in-classroom trainings, which actually help because I build content for the classroom and then it gets put onto Katakoda as examples which can be shared with other people, which generate more interest, which generates me more training. So it's a nice self-fulfilling thing. We're working with partners to have Katakoda integrated into their own websites and their own platforms. And so they're kind of using it as a way to showcase what their product can offer, way to kind of allow people to test drive it again without all of the downloads or all of the configuration and take repurposing and taking advantage of the platform itself, which is generating revenue for the platform, which is helping cover the costs, which is helping us 
provide the free content for everyone else. That's where we're kind of focusing, just because I would like to keep all the content free. I think that would be fit with the whole open source, open way that we're all heading down. And if I can keep it free, then I definitely will be doing that. Alongside that, just kind of more work and more of the same, I guess. Well, I mean, this has got to be costing you money. How are you running this? Like, how does this even work? <laughs> it's all magic. Okay, great. Okay, well, that's been a great show. It's been a great show. We'll see you next time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If I look back at some of the code, honestly, it does now look a little bit like magic. I don't think I can fully understand some of the bits which I wrote six months ago. No. Um, but that's more about my coding style more than anything, I think. <laughs> <laughs> in terms of what's happening in underneath, um, it's heavily backed by containers and container technology. We're all running on bare metal. We've invested upfront, which helps us keep the costs down over the long term. And again, if we were running this in the cloud, then it would be a very different problem because if we had the big instances in the cloud get very expensive very quickly, especially if you're running them 24-7. And that's fine if you've got direct revenue based on your scale, but you don't. Exactly. So you're basically running on a cluster of Raspberry Pis, right? <laughs> it's a little bit a little bit bigger. Um, I think at the moment we have something like 40 cores, 256 gig of RAM, and 10 terabytes of space, I think, in the cluster. And then we can just scale that up and down as we need it based on if we're doing a workshop and it's got 500 people in it, then Obviously, I can scale it up compared to what the normal usage is. So we've got some cloud niceness in there. It seems like a lot of cores to RAM, but I'm thinking scaling out a SQL Server or something like that. That sounded like a decent SQL Server machine, except it doesn't have enough memory in it. <laughs> 256 gigs, it's pretty decent. That's a starting point for SQL Server. <laughs> it's been a long time since I've run that in production. You know what? And you're a better person for it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is true. My reflex would have been a terabyte of RAM. Literally, that was my reflex. When you said 40 cores, I'm like, that needs a terabyte around. Wow, okay. I don't know how I got to be in such a dark place, man. I used <laughs> to be a better person than this. <laughs> Yeah, we're more on the core side and just that's the boxes which we have got. And also the environments are pretty, like they're streamlined. We wanted to keep everything pretty lightweight. Yeah. Well, and you're also working in containers, which are just more resource efficient, which I think is where I was going with this. It's like, that's actually pretty resource efficient for what you're running here. Yeah, exactly. And so I've been very cost effective. Uh, the hardware which I've picked and the technology choices which I've made. And so because they aren't fully blown and not like everyone's getting 10 gigabyte virtual machines they're streamlined and they're designed for learning and as such i've designed my architecture and my cost structure and my cost base around that so that everyone's happy and then as we grow we can add more ram if we need it or we can have more cores based on where the bottlenecks will arrive and the biggest bottleneck at the moment is io and like disk io because docker and extracting images is um, a pretty hungry io moving to ssds with a big help ssds baby yeah, and the on bus, the PCIe ones as well. The problem is they're pricey. <laughs> yeah. You do hit a point with SSDs where SATA is just not fast enough. Hey, man, I'm just saying if you had Raspberry Pis, you could use those new 256 gig micro SD cards. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> just saying. Just saying. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe that's the approach. I started out wrong. At one point, that was a real consideration. 
Right, when you connect to the environment, you actually just connect into a Raspberry Pi, huh. which would have been interesting going into a data center with a thousand Raspberry Pis. That'd be great. I'd love that. <laughs> That'd be a fun weekend for me, putting that together. <laughs> That's not where I want to spend my weekend. <laughs> Plugging in a thousand, thousand Raspberry Pis. Is oh, not, really? Yeah, no. No, I couldn't do it. <laughs> It'll be hilarious for the first hundred. Yeah, right. The next 900 are going to suck. <laughs> yeah. I also appreciate that this is very much language-centric and sort of key platforms like Docker and things-centric. There's no Visual Studio Playground. Because I don't know that anybody's a Visual Studio developer, right? You're a C-sharp developer, you know, or a Java developer. Like that, to me, makes more sense. And so you create these playgrounds for those things. Yeah, completely. And so we wanted to make sure that it was focused on the technology and not uh, like a moving target. Like tooling is just much harder to want to teach and also, just you have to then teach it with something like C Sharp anyway. It's just which chicken and egg problem. And so we went down focusing on a language. We will probably do UI at some point because at certain times it's good to have a visual element. We already have web UIs. So if you wanted to learn Jenkins, for example, um, we have a Jenkins environment where you get assigned and get given a Jenkins box and that's got everything set up. And so you can start playing with the job DSL or how did it build Docker images or how do you get your unit test running and solve the problems or through the web UI. But actually, when it comes to desktop, there's nothing which we actually proactively want to teach at the moment, which requires a desktop UI. There's a few things which would be nice, like Visual Studio, like Management Studio and SQL Server, like that's when you start pushing into needing that web desktop experience. And we'll get that. And your resource consumption on the back end is going to go up dramatically, trying to serve that kind of stuff too. Yeah, as we're saying, the split between what we're actually running will have to change and we'll have to readjust to cope with that. And so that's another reason. And I do find talking to new developers is they struggle understanding what's the language, what's the platform, what's the tooling. Especially in the Microsoft world, they're presented as one thing. Yeah. Completely. And so it'll be interesting to see if the new approaches from ASP.NET team help towards that. And it helps, especially now that Visual Studio Code, which is awesome, and I love it as an editor. And so maybe now it's actually dividing parts will start becoming clearer and you can swap it in and out more simply. That will make it just easier to learn from people coming onto the platform as a whole, because they can now go, I just want to build a website. And they'll know exactly what part they need and what they can just not be so concerned with the other bits. And I think the changes and kind of simplifying and focusing a lot are going to have a huge impact for the C-Shop and .NET communities because it will just be, once it's all like settled, it will just be a more consistent, coherent story. I don't know that it will be either because there's going to be more stories. What editor do you use when you develop C-Sharp? There's going to be a lot more choices. And I don't inherently hate the integrated environment per se. I just am very aware that the integrated environment hides from you a lot of reality that you'll eventually need to know. Yeah, and I think by having it more separate, it will become clearer. Like hiding everything isn't always the best way to help people get on board and help people understand new frameworks and new technologies. Sometimes actually having been visible about complexity is a good thing because we are developers, we are technically minded. And so we shouldn't be as scared of actually having technical information given to us. But then when it comes to editors, it will just go down to personal choice, like with learning. Do people prefer podcasts or do they prefer videos? Do they prefer watching and absorbing that way or do they like to be hands-on? And I think we'll get that now with the editors and frameworks of choice and runtimes of choice. And so people will have a better experience as a result because we'll be adapting to what they like to use and how they like to experience it. And that's why I think Katakoda is 
I find it important because I think there needs to be choices and there needs to be choices on how people approach documentation and how people approach learning new ideas and new concepts and the best ways of working. And like people need to have options. And ways to get exposed to some of this new technology without having to leap in fully. I do like being able to get my feet a little wet in some of this stuff and not having to be hugely committed to it. Yeah, completely. And that's also quite an important bit when you're anyone's learning new things as a whole. If you just have all the information all at once, then it's so hard to digest and so hard to kind of see what the important parts are, where you need that slow, gradual build up um, to help you not become stressed and not become frustrated that you don't understand it straight away. And you can't retain it all. Exactly. Everyone's learning. Everyone's trying to understand where all the bits are. But if you try and take on too much, then you do just overwhelm yourself. And then you lose that motivation. You lose that enjoyment from what you're trying to do in the first place. And it becomes stressful. And then you don't want to learn in the first place. Ben, what's the number one feature request for Katakoda? Good question. So it used to be make it work properly. Um, but I'll fix that now. So that's <laughs> <laughs> that's a good feature, man. I like that one a lot. <laughs> yeah, that was that one came up quite a lot early on in the early days. But yeah, no, that's all now happy. So now it's more content, and people just want more explanations of how things actually work in the real world, and they just want more frameworks, more choices. That's a good problem to have, man. Go deeper. It means your infrastructure is working for you. So that's where we can now start pushing it into some interesting directions like the uh, security angles and talking about Docker security. Helping someone walk through an OWASP analysis of a website. That's a really cool idea. That'd be great. One of the challenges you have with learning materials like this is that how complicated should the examples get to be enough real world? Because all demoware works great every time, right? The data is clean. There's only 100 rows. Like... How do we get over the threshold of it's complicated enough to be real, but not so complicated that I can't understand it? Exactly. And that's where it becomes that whole balance between what you are trying to learn and not overwhelming yourself too quickly. At some point, you do need to experience it because that's how it works in production, right? That's how we will all encounter the how do you index SQL Server at some point because that's the natural point of scaling. It would be nice the first time you find that this will kick your ass is not in production, right? Right. It's always helpful. Yeah, it'd be great to do that in a lab and to come out the other side of the lab going, well, just to know what's going to be hard and what's going to be easy. I can't tell you how many people got into, well, every time in the lab, this is work like a hot damn. Let's do it here. <laughs> and, and it's like, Surprise. It goes into that whole experimentation part of learning where we will be simulating in scenarios like a million rows in a database and simulating. So you can start experiencing it and you can start experimenting with how that looks and how that feels. Because I think that's an important part of the whole learning aspect. And so you need to put yourself in these weird, difficult positions so you actually fully understand what is happening underneath. And I think too much documentation sometimes just focuses on the nice, happy getting started enough on the, this is how it works in production. And I think there needs, whether it's Catacoda or just generally in the community, there needs to be a better explanation of how it works in production and sharing those stories and sharing that information. A sample website running like a steady 25 transactions per second, peaking to 100 that has intermittent deadlocks at peak hours. Here, go diagnose this. <laughs> yeah, not that I'm reviewing a nightmare of mine. No. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Conferences are great at highlighting that these are real problems and these are what actually happens. But I think not everyone can reach conferences and not everyone can get the time off or they've got family. And so there needs to be a better way online just to have that information and share those stories with other people. And if Catacoda is it, then that's great. But if it's not and something else, then that's also equally as valuable. I think there just needs to be that those stories shared 
and made more accessible for people. Yeah. So, Ben, what's next for you? What's in your inbox? Next up is NBC. I'm looking forward to having one or two soft drinks with yourselves. Definitely. Or a hard drink, as the case may be. Well, maybe. Maybe. I hear there is one or two whiskey bars. Um, So Here and there. Yep. Here and there. Here and there. So that's next on my list. And then there's another round of living from training and so that's pretty good it's looking busy at the moment with lots of training lots of conferences and lots of katakoda all right awesome well thanks ben it looks fantastic and i wish you all the best of luck and thanks for spending this hour with us it's been great thank you very much for your time and thanks for inviting me you bet all right we'll see you next time on dotnet rocks .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a transmitter band by the FCC. Yes, I'm a 